I've been in a, in a little series of messages. We've been talking about different names. There's a lot that goes to a name, right? Especially when you're in the Old Testament, you're reading in the book of Hebrews, there's a lot that goes into a name. We talked about Jabez, and if you remember, his name literally meant he who causes pain. And we worked through that. We talked about Benaiah, and his name meant built by God. We talked about a guy named Mephibosheth last week, and his name literally meant shame or shameful thing. And I want to talk to you this morning about a guy named Jacob. He's a little bit more popular in the Bible, but his name has a lot of significance because his name ends up becoming the most mentioned name throughout Scripture, and it has very significant meaning. I want to get into that message, and the title of my message this morning is Wrestling with God. And Ty Finn really loved my title slide because he got that tattoo right there on his arm if you want to check it out later. Somebody amen me, right? It's a pretty cool slide. All right, praise God. So before we get into it, I'm going to tell you a little bit of some background story because this story begins when what I'm going to talk about is a night that Jacob, it says he actually wrestled with a man all night long. And we kind of find out that this man that he wrestled with was most likely not a man at all. We find out that this man was God. And it's, so it's a little bit of a weird story, but we're going to get into it. I got to give you some background first, but can we, I like to pray before we get started. I know that everybody's got needs and maybe you got through worship and you just have woke up, but I know that everybody's got requests on their hearts and I believe that whenever the Lord, whenever the Lord moves that he, he, he wants to hear our prayers. So can we just, we just come to him this morning together. Won't you just bow your heads with me, Father. Lord, we're just grateful for your presence. We acknowledge the fact that you are here and you are here to speak to us, God, because you love each one of us. And if we as individuals were the only ones with sin in this world, Jesus, we believe that you still would have went to the cross and died for us. And so we look to the cross this morning and we believe, God, that because of that cross, because of that blood, you have sent your Holy Spirit to empower us, to speak to us, to transform us. And we believe that this morning you can help us not only to speak your word, God, but to hear it in such a way, God, that we would be changed by it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just pray right now for every person that's dealing with a burden or sickness or anything like that, that you would bring healing, you would bring strength, you would bring refreshing to their lives, even as they hear your word, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that, that I want to talk about during this message is, is, is prayer, because I believe that prayer is probably one of the most undervalued things in our lives. And I would even go as far to say that prayer is the most undervalued thing in the life of the church. And the Lord is constantly dealing with me about the fact that we need to, to be people of prayer and we need to be people who are seeking God through prayer. As Christian believers, we got to understand that, that the route that God has made so that we actually receive blessings, the way that we receive answers from the God, he, God, He has hardwired us so that these things, these answers and these blessings come through the act and the practice of prayer. And prayer is the way that we actually come into a place where we lay hold of the promise of God for our lives. You agree with that this morning? And listen, here's the thing. Everybody prays. I, I, I'll even say this, that unbelievers, people who don't even believe in Jesus pray. Like if a dude wakes up in the middle of the night, he don't even know Jesus, son. He'll walk over and stub his toe on the step and he'll holler out, Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? And it's, I know that sounds like I just took his name in vain, but I know the Lord, so I can holler at him and he'll answer me. You know what I'm talking about? See, because everybody will pray. And you say, well, why would he, if he doesn't even know the Lord, why does he ever even, why does he cry out like that? Because we are legitimately hardwired for prayer. It's the way that we were made. When we get into crucial situations, when we get into situations in our life where we have hard times, man, there is something that comes into our heart where we need some, we need some help. We start to call on somebody. And that's why prayer ultimately at the end of the day, it unites us all. 
I've heard atheists call upon God. You know what I'm talking about? Like at the end of the day, we all know that we are stuck here as very weak individuals on this planet and we need some help and we call upon a power that is outside of us and we're saying we need you to intervene in this situation and that unites us. We're all hardwired for prayer. See, in Genesis 32, that's where I'm going to end up at. But in Genesis 32, there's a very strange story about this guy named Jacob. And he's wrestling with a strange heavenly man of some kind all night long. But I'll, before we get into this story, i got to give you a little bit of background if you've never read the story about Jacob and his life. Because he was born with a twin brother named Esau. Now Esau's name was very important too. You know what Esau's name meant? It meant Harry. Praise God. Because he came out and he was covered with red hair. He, looked, he was a lot like Ryan Gay. You know what I'm talking about? Like he come out, he, he had hair all over him. And they said, well, we're going to name this boy Esau because he's hairy. But as he was coming out, his brother Jacob takes him by the heel as if to say, no, nah, you ain't coming out first, son. I'm coming out. Have you ever lived a life where you're just trying to grasp at people and pull people down so that you can be the first one in head? Anybody you know ever lived that kind of a life where you're always pulling somebody down in order to get ahead? Well, that was the kind of guy that Jacob was. And so Jacob, he had cheated his older twin brother out of his birthright. Now, if you lived in the olden days back in Jewish history, the firstborn son would get two-thirds of the inheritance. And even if they had six other brothers, those six other brothers would split the one-third of the inheritance. So Esau was the firstborn, and he was going to get all of the inheritance of his father Isaac. Now, what that meant is he's going to get two-thirds of all of his possessions, which was a lot. But not only that, he was going to inherit all of the promises of God that came to his grandfather Abraham. Now, if you remember in Scripture, God promised Abraham he said, through you, Abraham, through your children, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. In other words, through your lineage, the Messiah Christ will come. And through your bloodline, all people are going to be able to have the opportunity to be saved because of the blessing of God upon your life. And so one day Esau comes in. But here's, here's something else that you got to understand is that these men were very different. Esau, he was a macho man, dude. He was, he was probably a guy that drove an F-350. He had a beard down to here. You know what I'm talking about? He wore or a MAGA hat. He was voting for Trump in the election. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he, was, a, he, was, a, he was a strong with it. He loved to hunt. The Bible actually says that he was a man of the fields. He hunted with a Matthews bow. He's a lot like John Andrew Becknell back here. Like he stayed in the woods. He hunted deer. He did all those things. He was a ruffian, son. He was, he was a bad outfit. Jacob, on the other hand, his brother, it actually says that he was a mild man. That he was, he was smooth skinned. Like he'd get out of the shower and he'd lotion up. You know what I'm talking about? His one... He was one of those dudes. He was a little bit soft. He was a mama's boy. This is actually what the Bible tells. I'm giving a little bit of, ex a little bit of freedom of expression. But, but, but he was a mama's boy. He may have been voting for Biden. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know about the politics. Don't get political, Clay. Let's, t let's keep it in the Bible here this morning. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But what we know is that these guys were very different. And one day, see, he liked to stay at home. Jacob liked to stay at home. He liked to cook. And one day, Esau goes out. He's hunting all day. He'd been in the woods all day. He comes in. If you've ever been in the woods all day, you ain't had nothing. You pull one of them 12-hour jobs. You know you're hungry, man. You're tired. He comes in. He says, Jacob, give me something to eat, man. And Jacob was sitting there stewing some stew. And Jacob, because of his mindset, always pulling and grasping at other things, he said, right, here's me an opportunity, son. This dude's hungry enough. I could do some negotiating. Y'all ever been in a situation? like that. You go to the car lot, you're trying to figure out how to negotiate. Jacob was that way. So he says, look, I'm going to do some negotiating with Esau. He said, I tell you what, 
I give you a bowl of stew. He starts high. You know how you go to the car lot and they just start as high as they possibly can? Jacob starts high. He says, I'll give you a bowl of stew for your birthright. Basically, you give me two-thirds of everything and all the blessings of our grandfather Abraham. You give me that, I'll give you a bowl of stew. And probably one of the saddest stories in the Bible, in my opinion, based on what I know about this, is that Esau agrees to it and says, what good is it if I die right here today because I'm starving to death? He said, give me that bowl of stew, you can have my birthright. And he traded all of the promises of God for his future for one moment of satisfaction and pleasure. And that's our generation right there, folks. So many of us, we trade all of the promises of God and our future in Christ for one moment of satisfaction and pleasure. All of us, we, we've been in that situation. We have that heart. And the Bible ends up saying, Esau, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And we think, man, God hates Esau. It's not that. It's that Jacob, he says, I've loved Esau. I have rejected because he despised the birthright. And many times we get into a position where we despise the things of God, folks. We just look at it as unimportant. And we've talked about how, how, how bringing our children up in the things of God is so important that we never despise our future in God and what He's called us to do because it, it, it ends up affecting generations. And it affected generations after them and even their children. But He said, all right, I'll give you my birthright. And here's the thing, later on, Isaac, their father, is about to die. And he's about to die, and he says, Isaac says to Esau, now the Bible says his eyes had grown very dim, couldn't see nothing, couldn't hardly hear nothing. He says, call my son Esau in here, and he says, Esau, I want you to go out. He said, I love it when you go out there and you kill that deer, man, you make that savory meat, you put it on the camp chef, you wrap it in bacon, you smoke it on slow for about 200, 200 degrees for a couple of hours. He said, I love when you do that, right? He says, so you go out, you make me some deer meat, you bring it in, and I'm going to formally confer the blessing over your life. Now, some people think this is unimportant, but when you pray a blessing over your children, there's power in it. It's biblical. Some people think there's no power in it. They don't believe in the power of prayer. They don't believe that put, putting your hands on your children with eyes open looking at them and saying, Son, I bless you, I love you. There's power in that. There's power in that. And never forget that. So he calls him in and he knows the power of the blessing. He knows that something supernatural is going to happen, that God is going to bring that blessing. And so Jacob's mother, Rebecca, hears about it. And Rebecca loves Jacob. He's a mama's boy. He says, she says, Jacob, look, here's what you got to do. He's about to confer the blessing to the son. He's a big hairy dude. What do? Go out, kill a couple of goats. We're going to put goat hair all over you and we're going to fix some savory meat. You're going to take it in. You're going to act like you're Esau and you're going to get the blessing. Jacob, he's a cheater, son. He gets involved. He says, that's what I'm going to do. He goes in. He puts, covers himself in hair. He goes into his father. He says, who is that out there? He lies to his father, does not say his name. He says, it's Esau, your son. He says, well, the voice, the voice sounds like my son Jacob's. But he said, come here a minute. And he touched him. He said, but his hair is like my, my son Esau. So he put his hand on him after he ate. And he prayed for him. And the blessing was formally formally conferred upon Jacob. And because of that, Jacob ended up becoming the father of all Israel, of the nation of Israel. And through his lineage came Christ because of that. Because of cheating, son. You know what I'm talking about? Like that, that's not even... We would think, well, this is the Bible. He should have done it righteously. He should have done it rightly. But see, we are broken people. Jacob represents us in it to a large degree. And, and his name literally means... Here's what Jacob's name means. You can put it up there. His name literally means... Have we got any Jacobs in here? Here's what your name means, praise God. Grasper, supplanter, deceiver, 
taking the place of another through striving, scheming, strategy, or force. In other words, his name literally means that he's spending his life trying to get ahead, trying to get forward by cheating, by lying, by deceiving, by grasping, by striving as hard as he can with all of his effort. That becomes his identity. We talked about the power of a name and the power of our identity because the things we go through, the things we deal with, what our parents say about us, the experiences we have, the abuse that we go through, those things end up becoming our identity and Christ comes to invade our life and say at some point or another no that's not who you are that is not your name just like with Mephibosheth last week he says that is not your name who told you that was your name but see this was Jacob's name as his mother had given him this name and see after 30 years of being separate from his family here's what here's what happens here's what you got to understand Jacob gets the birthright he gets the blessing it's conferred Esau says, he comes in after he realizes, his, he says, here's your stew, dad. And his dad says, oh my gosh, Esau, I just conferred the blessing on Jacob. And he says, he's going to be blessed. There's no way around it. There's no way to renege on the blessing. It's going to be on my son Jacob. So Esau steps back. He says, you know what? My father's about to die. I'm going to let Isaac, my dad, die. And after Isaac, my dad, dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. This is what he says. So you know what Jacob does? He's a smart man. He says, you know what? I'm going to pack my bags. I'm going to get out of town. And he leaves town, and for 30 years he's gone. He doesn't see his father. He doesn't see his mother. He ends up finding a wife. He spends some time with his uncle Laban for year after year after year working to try to get him a woman. He ends up getting the wrong woman because his uncle deceives him. There's all kinds of deception wrapped up in his life. And he sows the seed of deception and he reaps the seed of deception. And he goes into these, these, these times of life. And 30 years he's running, wondering whether or not Esau's ever going to kill him. And after these 30 years, the Lord says, now you can go back to the land of your fathers. And he says, you can go back. And as he's heading back, word comes that Esau is coming with 400 men. And you know what Jacob's thinking. He's thinking, man, this dude is finally, I'm finally going to get what's coming to me. Esau, my brother, is going to come out and to kill me. And here's what it says in Genesis 32, 9. Then Jacob prayed. Because when you get in a pickle and you think your brother Esau, who's a hairy man that is a bad outfit, driving an F-350 wearing a MAGA hat, like he may be alt right, you don't know at this point. It's been 30 years. Uh, I got to quit with the political jokes this morning, but we'll press in. 32.9, Jacob prayed. He said, Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. What he's doing is he's holding God's word up to him. When you get in situations, folks, one of the things that you've got to learn to do is you've got to learn to get a hold of the promises of God and hold back up to him what he has said. He sees a confrontation. He sees that it looks like Esau may be coming to kill him. What does he do? He says, God, you promised me something. You told me that I was going to go back to the land of my fathers and you were going to prosper me and things were going to be okay. And then he says, in verse 10 and 11. Notice, he says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have sown your servant. He's praying, pouring out his heart to God. And he said, I only had my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. Two times he's praying to the Lord. He's holding God's word back up in front of him. Have you ever been in a situation where you, it looks like nothing is going to go well? Maybe your kids are going half crazy. Maybe your family's broken. Maybe things are all messed up. But you get into the word of God and you say, but God, your word says this. 
This is what you've promised me. Two times Jacob is teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us that we've got to learn how to hold God's word up in front of him. And here's what ends up happening. He's praying, God, you've got to deliver me. You've got to bring salvation for me, Saul. You've got to take care of this situation and get me out of this mess and don't let Esau kill me. There's something that happens. You know that desperation is often a very good thing. Well, I said this the other night. One of the problems that we have with a lot of Christian people who have struggles and the reason that people don't really find freedom in Christ is because they're not yet desperate. They're not yet desperate. They don't really want it. They want it on their own terms. I talk with people, I counsel with people, and sometimes it's just like I want to say, you know what, here's the thing, here's what the Bible says. If you're not really willing to do what this says, then there's no point in me counseling you because all my counsel can get you no help until you are desperate to have what God wants to do in your life. you got to get to a place of desperation. And he was in a place of desperation calling upon the Lord. When you get to that place, son, you will cry out. Something will move in your heart, and this is what he does. But that night he's wondering. I prayed to God. He's still struggling. Have you ever prayed and you get no peace? You pray about a situation and the peace doesn't come. You're thinking, Lord, I held my promise up to you, but I, don't, I, I still don't, I don't have any peace. And that night he didn't have any peace. He was up all night. You flip down to verse 24 through 26. Here's what it says. So Jacob was left alone. See, he got lonely now because he's praying over this situation. And it says, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now I want you to imagine the pain of a dislocated hip. Anybody in here ever had a dislocated hip? It's the biggest joint in the body. I mean, sometimes people get hip replacements. I can't imagine the pain of getting in a wrestling match. But here's the other thing I want, to note, I want you to notice. Can you imagine wrestling somebody, your hip going out of socket, and you continue to hold on? You know what that is? That's varsity. That's all state, baby. Like he, like he is a wrestling outfit because he's got his hip out of socket, but he is not wet, willing to let go. He says, I ain't going to let you go until you bless me. There is a tenacious desperation that has filled Jacob's heart. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. In verse 27, the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. See, he asked him his name because he's wanting him to acknowledge who he really is. He's wanting him to say, I'm Jacob. I am the deceiver. I am the supplanter. I'm the one that's been living 30 years having deceived everybody I ever come into contact with. Even though I knew, God, that you blessed me, yet I strived for the blessing. I tried to steal it from everybody I could get it from. I'm a cheater. I'm a liar. He's trying to get him to confess where he's really at and who he really is. And so often what people do, even in the church, you know, a lot of people don't even come to church and they say, why? Well, because there ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites down there, to which I say, amen. They're always a bunch of hypocrites. Just because people go to the church does not mean their behavior is going to be flawless, folks. And don't ever put those kind of expectations on people because they will let you down. I will let you down. Somebody in here is going to let you down at some point. But you know what we do? We forgive and we love. Why? Because we're the family of God and we're the children of God. But see, if you're ever going to move forward, you've got to come to an honest place with God where you say, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is where I've been. I'm opening it up. I'm showing you this is my name. Because the name was your character. 
It was about who you really were. And he, God was trying to get him to a place to be honest with himself. And he says, that's who I am. But he says, you know what? Because you've said your name, he says, no longer is your name going to be Jacob. But he says, your name is going to be Israel because you struggled with God and with man. And you have prevailed. You have overcome. In other words, God wants to bring you into a life-transforming, a life-altering encounter. He doesn't just want you to come to church. He doesn't just want you to know the Bible. He doesn't want you to just know doctrine. He wants you to have an encounter with the living God that before that moment you were somebody else and after that moment you were a new creation in Jesus Christ. Your heart was changed. The way you thought about things was different. God wants a living, breathing moving encounter with you where you know the living God and you're not who you used to be. And maybe on the outside, I'm still clay. I was clay 20 years ago. I'm clay now. But I'm telling you, there was a moment that marked my life that my name on the inside changed. That God gave me a new name. He said, you're no longer that person. You're a new person. And he tells him, your name is now going to be Israel. And Israel literally means one who struggles or wrestles with God. One translation calls it a prince of God. So he equates a prince of God with somebody who is going to wrestle with God. And then verse 29, Jacob said, tell me your name. And he replied, why do you ask my name? And I'm thinking, well, because I usually don't wrestle with dudes that I don't know all night long. I mean, I at least like to get your name, you know what I'm saying? It says, then he blessed them there. And... He blessed, now notice that, he says he blessed them there. Now some commentators will say this is an angel. One commentator who's really wrong said, said that it was Esau's angel trying to get the blessing back. But in the next verse is where you really get the, the, the truth about who he is in verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. So Jacob comes to an understanding that who he's been wrestling with the whole time is God. I'm telling you right now, there are folks in this room, you've been wrestling with God and the wrestling that's going on in your soul, you don't even realize it's God. You may say, this is Esau's angel, this is some kind of other figure. Right now, there are many people in this place, you are wrestling with God and you don't even realize that it's God trying to work something into you, trying to bring you into an encounter. Those lonely feelings that you've got late at night, that brokenness, that fear, that anxiety, you're sitting there wrestling with God and you don't even know it's Him yet. You don't, but he's trying to get your attention. He's trying to wake you up to the reality of what he wants to do. He says, I've seen God face to face. Now what this is called, it's called a theophany or a Christophany like in, in, in scholarship. What that means is it is an appearance of Christ before he was born to Mary. So the Lord shows up, wrestles with Jacob in the Old Testament before he's even born. Because Jesus Christ is eternal, folks. He is from everlasting. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit eternally dwelt together as one. He shows up in this place. He wrestles with Jacob because through his lineage, that same one that wrestled with him is going to come and save the entire world. So Jacob goes out to meet Esau after this wrestling match all night. When he goes out to meet Esau, Esau meets him. He's afraid he's going to kill him. But you know what Esau does? And here's, here's what God does to families and relationships that are broken. Esau, after 30 years of hatred and vengeance and wanting to get back at him for what he's done because he hurt his brother, folks. But you know what Esau does? By the time he sees his brother Jacob, he's broken in his heart. He goes and he falls on him and he begins to weep. That's what God does in relationships. He brings restoration. He brings restoration. And see, here's five things. I want to give you five things real quick that this story will teach us. 
And I'll try to move through these as quickly as I can. But number one, this story teaches us that the blessings of God are released into our lives through prayer. Just like I said in the beginning, this is a very simple principle. But man, sometimes I wonder if we actually realize it. Sometimes I think we're just going, we, we, we just believe that we're just going to be blessed. God has hardwired prayer in the human uh, makeup so that that is how we seek God. That's how we receive from God. Prayer is the answer for the ways that we receive the blessings of God. And see, Jacob, in verse 29, it says he holds on to him and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, here's what you got to catch, is that the blessing had already been decreed. Let me, let me put it to you like this way. God had already decreed the blessing. Before these boys was born and as they were being born, God promised Jacob's mom said, this boy right here is going to have the blessing. He's going to be the blessed one. But guess what? He did not receive that decreed blessing until he got into a place with God where he was willing to wrestle with God for that blessing. My point being is God may already have a destiny for you. He may already have a promise for you, but it's not going to come into your life until you're willing to get down to business and wrestle with God and seek His face and say, I'm coming after you, God, because I know there's a promise. The promises of God do not get released into a life just because God promised it while you sit back and watch TV and eat tater chips. Man, that's good right there. The promises of God are released to those who seek Him. He says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you shall receive. Those who keep knocking, finally that door is open. Those who keep asking, finally they have a receive of the things that they have asked for, see? But see, God can decree a blessing over your life, but it's not going to become yours until you know what it means to wrestle with God. And let me tell you something. Jacob wrestled with some stuff. Have you, have you ever wrestled with some stuff? It could be your past. I mean, I talk to people all the time. They're like, you know what? I just I struggle with God because I've been through this. I've been through that. So-and-so hurt me. You don't know what I dealt with as a child. Let me tell you something. We've all dealt with some stuff, haven't we? We've all been through one thing or the other, maybe some more than others. And we wrestle with some things. Jacob wrestled with his loneliness. He wrestled with the fact that his father liked Esau more than others. He was rejected by his father to some degree. He wrestled with his past. He wrestled with his sin. He wrestled with his... Have you ever got to a place... Like sometimes I remember when I first started reading the Bible, man, it said some things that I honestly didn't like. You know what I'm saying? Like when it said, when it said that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven, I was like, ha, this ain't no good. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying, I, I like to tie one on. And you start wrestling with that. Have you ever wrestled with some of that stuff? Have you ever got in the Bible and actually wrestled with what it says? And here's the other thing. A lot of Christians believe that faith and doubt are opposite of one another. And so what they think is, is that if you ever have a doubt, you just got no faith and God doesn't love you, etc., etc. Now, faith is very important. But can I tell you that what this story actually teaches us is that doubt is a very, very serious component of faith. And what I mean by that? I mean that nobody just comes to God wide open and is like, God, I believe you for everything. Nobody ever just shows up like that. They've got doubts. They've got struggles. They've got things they've been through. They've got questions that they're questioning with God. And what God is asking you to do is He's saying, I want you to come into a place where you're willing to wrestle with me. Because if you will wrestle with me over these questions, what some people do is they've got questions, they've got doubts, they've got fears. And rather than come to God and wrestle with it, they just say, well, I've got doubts. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. And God actually names His covenant people, Israel, those who wrestle with God. Why? Because that's what they were willing to do. They, they saw pictures of God sometimes that they didn't understand. 
They, had, they dealt with things sometimes that, that hurt them. They didn't know what was going on. But you know what? Every time something happened, they were willing to wrestle with God. And it was through that wrestling that they had an encounter with God. Something changed about them. Maybe their hip got knocked out of socket. But they had a realization of who God was. And in those moments, their life changed forever. So you got to be willing to wrestle with God. I remember, I remember when I first really started seeking the Lord, I was trying to find freedom. I was trying to repent of my sin. I was struggling for month after month after month, just really dealing with some stuff. I went to one church that was like on this side of the spectrum, and then I went to another church that was on this side of the spectrum, and both the pastors were saying, don't go there. No, you can't go over there because they believe this. You can't go over there because they believe this. And that kind of division, it bothered me. I said, well, you know what? I ain't going to neither one of y'all's then. And I just went home, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting this, but how many of y'all you ever been to church and it just like, I got more confused. Bless God. You know, I, it didn't work out. That was, that was the way I was in the beginning. And I said, you know what, God, I'm going to go and I'm going to take what I've heard and I'm going to wrestle with you because I need you to speak to me. I don't need to just hear what a man said. So many people, they're just like, you know what, I believe this. And I'm thinking, well, why did you believe that? Well, because my pastor taught me. And I'm thinking, have you ever even looked at another viewpoint? Have you ever read the Bible for yourself and actually prayed through it for yourself? Have you ever looked at a different angle? You have to wrestle with some of these things sometimes, folks. Don't just take everything hook, line, and sinker as if it's the, the, the pure truth. You've got to wrestle with some of these things because God doesn't just want you to hear a message on Sunday. He wants you to have a living relationship with Him where you take the Word and you go wrestle with it. And you say, God, how does this work into my life? I didn't just come to hear a message to be entertained. I came to hear a message so that I could take it and take Your Word and hold it up before Your face and say, God, I want that same kind of transformation in my life. I want a name change. I want a new place to walk in. And you begin to wrestle with God and struggle with Him through some things. See, it was through wrestling with God in prayer that the promise and the blessing became Jacob's. And the Bible is full of promises. Over 3,000 promises to be exact. And I know some people will say, well, you know, Clay, a lot of those promises, they're just for Israel. They're not for me. And I agree with you to some degree. But in 2 Corinthians 1.20, here's what Paul says. He says, for all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. In other words, what he's saying is all of the promises from the front to the back that are in Scripture, in some way, in a Christ-centered way, those promises can be applied to your life and you, can, and, and, and you say, well, I don't know if this is for me or not. Well, guess what? In Christ, he says, yes, it's for you. And therefore, what you've got to learn to do is take that promise and say, this is yes, to, yes in Christ, Lord. And then you say, amen, so be it in my life. And you claim the promise promises of God for your life. Now, when I talk about claiming the promises of God, I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm not talking about the fact that you say, well, I want me a new car and I'm going to claim that. I'm talking about praying the word of God. There's a difference. I'm talking about praying the word of God. But here's the question. Which blessings of God are unclaimed for your family? Let me just kind of show you how I pray. Because it's one thing to read the Bible. It really is. It's another thing to pray through the Bible. It's one thing to read it. A lot of people read it. They say, man, this don't make no sense to me. This don't make any sense to me. But it's another thing to actually get into it and pray through it. So let me, let me, tell you, let me just give you a few examples. Here's what I'll do. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5. Right now, one of the struggles Andre and I have, a lot of y'all know it, we, we're dealing with infertility. We've been trying to have a baby for six years. It's not going so well, but we're about to adopt. But here's what I'll pray. I'll hold God's promises up to him. It says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. 
I'll say, Lord, this is your heritage. This is something that you promised me. You're going to give me children. And the fruit of the womb is a reward. And it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. I love this because here's what he's saying. I'll pray this over our kids that ain't even born yet. And I pray this over your kids. I pray this over the kids of City of Hope Church. What I say is, I say, Lord, you have given us these children as a reward. And what you're going to do, Lord, is you're going to make them like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What is an arrow designed to do? It's designed to be shot into the heart of the enemy. And I'll start to pray, God, you're going to make our children, you're going to raise them up and you're going to make them like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And we're going to shoot them right into our culture in such a way that addiction is going to be broken, that poverty is going to be broken, that when our children are raised up, they're going to do far more than what we ever dreamed we could do because these children you have given to us that they would become like an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior. And it says that our children, they're actually going to go down to the gate and speak with their enemies in the gate. You know what that means? That means that some of the enemies that we could not overcome as the people of God and man Manchester, they're going to come into a place where they will go and speak with the enemies and say, guess what, devil? Not here. You're not coming in on our school system. You're not coming into our churches. We're going to a different place. And I'm telling you, whatever we do in God, our children will do more if we'll learn how to pray for them and believe God for what He wants to do. He doesn't give you children so they can raise up and be hellions. He gives you children so you can disciple them and make them more in God than you ever were. And I'm going to tell you something. Your children and my children, they're going to be more than we were in God. You say amen to that? See, that's what it says. We got a promise from God. You say amen to it because it finds its yes in Christ. And see, some people, they worry about their children at school. I got a promise you can hold up. Isaiah 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Not about the Lord. Not in Sunday school. By the Lord Himself. And great shall be the peace of your children. In verse 17, right in the same context, he said that no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the saints of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. These are the promises of God that you've got to hold back up into His face. Now sometimes I'll pray for myself. How many of y'all you pray for yourself? I claim the blessings of God for myself. Psalm 84.11 says this, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Here's what I'll get into. I get into a situation, I'll say, Lord, I can't believe you've called me to pastor a church. I said, don't make no sense to me. And sometimes I wonder if I'm going to make it. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, am I going to be able to lead these people? What if I fall? What if I make just the dumbest decision you could ever imagine and it hurts people, it affects people? And I get scared and these things begin to overwhelm me. And I'll go to the Word and i say, but you know what? Your, your Word says that you're a sun and a shield to me, God. You're going to give me grace and glory and God, no good thing will you withhold from me. That means that when I need wisdom, you're going to give it to me. When I need direction, you're going to give it to me. When I need to love people that have hurt me so bad that all I want to do is be bitter, you're going to pour love into my heart and give me forgiveness. No good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly. I put it right back up into His face. And see, here's the reason I do that. Isaiah 43, 26 says, Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case. See, the Lord loves to be put in remembrance. Do you know that the Lord don't forget anything? He knows all things. There's nothing that surprises Him. He sees the end from the beginning. He's sovereign over all things. He sees it all. But He's in relationship with you. And in that relationship, he says, you know what? Sovereignly, I have chosen to make it so that you can come to me and put me in remembrance of my word. 
And he says that's how these things begin to be affected into our lives. Is there, actually, in Isaiah 62, he says, you know what? I've put watchmen on the walls. And in the Hebrew language, they are literally called the Lord's remembrancers. And he says that they put him in remembrance day and night, crying out to God until he fulfills his promises and establishes his word on the earth. Can you imagine that? Imagine some people that say, you know what, Lord? We're going to put you in remembrance. We're going to plead our case, and we're going to cry out day and night until you establish your promises in my life, in my family, on this earth. Now, here's one that I pray for you. Psalm 5, verse 11 and 12. I prayed this the other, I think yesterday when we were in Saturday morning prayer meeting. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Right now, folks, everybody's scared to death. You know what I pray? I pray, Lord, spread your protection over the people. Spread your protection over the people. Keep them from sickness, from disease, from fear. But then it says, surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. And I say, Lord, bless the people. Bless. And I, sometimes I'll walk through the, the, this, this place and I'll imagine your faces because I get them in my mind. And I'll speak blessing over your lives because I'm just praying that. And I'll speak blessing and then I'll say, Lord, you surround them with favor as with a shield. And I just imagine him putting, surrounding you with favor as with a shield. What am I doing? I'm holding God's word right back up into his face and said, Lord, you promised you'd bless them. You promised that you'd surround them with favor as with a shield. And I'm holding your word up, God, that you're going to protect them everywhere that they go from all the enemy, from every strategy. See, Jacob held up the promises of God to him twice before he entered into this wrestling match. And my question would be to you, what promises of God have been unclaimed in your life and in your family's life? Because we got all these promises, but we live like paupers a lot of time. Would you agree with that? I read an article the other day that said that $5.8 billion of gift cards go unclaimed every year. That's a lot of money, y'all. $5.8 billion. In, have y'all ever bought somebody a gift card? Have y'all ever re-gifted a gift card? Somebody gave me a gift card to Buffalo Wild Wings probably two years ago. That thing is still in my wallet. I just ain't had a chance to make it to Buffalo Wild Wings. It goes unclaimed, doesn't it? $5.8 billion. What I'm telling you is, is that you have the Scripture, you have the Bible, and all of those promises, 3,000 gift cards in that sucker that have already been paid for by the blood of Jesus, and He's waiting on you to redeem them through prayer. He's waiting on you to redeem them through prayer. Number two, Sometimes when you're praying, the blessings are released through persistent prayer. Sometimes you just, it doesn't take, it's not enough to just say, well, Lord, he, he said that. I'm going to pray Psalm 5. Then I'm going to go home. No, sometimes you've got to stay persistent in your prayer. Martin Luther said this. He said that the story of Jacob wrestling with God gives us the picture of wrestling with a seemingly hostile God in prayer. I mean, you got a picture of God and it seems like God's sitting there literally. Can you imagine that? Like what if God showed up and he said, hey, buddy, I'm trying to wrestle you right now. I mean, it'd be weird. And sometimes you get these images of God. I've heard people say, you know, so I, just, I, did, I struggle with the images of God in the Old Testament. Guess what? Those images of God in the Old Testament, you know, one of the reasons they're there? So you can wrestle with them. Because some things about your life are never going to change until you wrestle with these thoughts in your mind. But see, sometimes God seemingly appears hostile. Let me put it to you like this. Jesus, uh, for example, there was a woman in the Bible, a Syrophoenician woman. She was not a Jew. And Jesus was sent to preach to the Jews only at that particular time. She shows up. She says, Jesus, let me tell you something. I got a daughter. She's got a demon. She is vexed like she's in bad shape. Would you come and heal my daughter? Jesus turns to her and says something that's honestly quite shocking. 
He says, woman, it's not right for me to give the food to the dogs, the children's food to the dogs. And the disciples are like, oh my gosh, he just called her a dog. And when you read it, don't you think the same? You're like, why in the world would he talk to this woman that way? Like in our cancel culture, son, Jesus would be canceled day one. Because he said something like that. But one of the things that he's trying to do is he's exposing what those disciples actually believe in their heart because they believe that woman is less than. They don't believe she, be- she deserves the blessings of God, so they're like, that's right, call her a dog, Jesus. Send her on her way. She ain't, she ain't a Jewish person. There's racism involved, right? So sometimes God will say things in order to expose the darkness that's in your own heart. But then the woman says, you know what? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She said, you don't have to give me the food, just give me a crumb that falls from the table. And he says, that's the kind of faith that I'm looking for. And he says, because of that, go your way, your daughter is healed. See, up front, what did it seem like? It seemed like he was hostile, it seemed like he was indifferent, it seemed like he didn't want to answer her prayer, but she didn't give in. Any of us, what we'd have done is said, well, man, he called me a dog, I'm offended. Walk out. Wouldn't we? We wouldn't persist, we'd let go. Because oftentimes people pray and they say it didn't work. I heard people say, you know what, man, I I tried Christianity and it didn't work. I said, well, how long did you try? Well, I went to church for a month. I'm like, maybe maybe test it out a little bit longer. I mean, let's go for the long haul here. I mean, if God is real, He is worth giving giving a test drive, son. You know what I'm saying? Like for a long one, too. Like take it on out to the parkway, drive on over to London, you know what I'm saying? Maybe head up to Lexington for a minute, get a cheeseburger. Take it for a a real test drive. But see, sometimes it seems like God is a little bit indifferent. Luke 18, Jesus says this parable, basically. He says, look, there was a widow, and she came to a judge, and she told this judge, she said, would you avenge me of my adversary? And this judge says, you know what? I don't care about God. I don't care about this woman. He says, but she keeps coming to me every night, knocking on my door, won't leave me alone. She's asking for a warrant. She's wanting something. Every single night, she will not leave me alone. And he says, I'm going to get up and I'm going to give it to her. He says, you know what? Not because I like the woman and not because I care about God, I don't. He said, but I'm going to give it to her because she's going to wear me out if I don't. Any of y'all ever been in that situation? Now, what Jesus is saying, he's not, he is not saying that God is like that. He says God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And He will speedily give you your request. But what He's trying to teach you is that sometimes when you pray and seek God, it feels like He's indifferent. It's not that He is. It just feels that way. That's what Jesus is trying to teach. He's trying to teach that sometimes when you seek God and sometimes when you're in prayer, it feels like wrestling. It feels like striving. And in order to receive what God needs to do in your life, you've got to understand that you have to persist. See, and for some of you, it feels like God is distant, feels like He's uncaring in this season, but I promise you, it's just God trying to get you to a place Martin Luther said this, he said, Sometimes God will resist you in prayer just to see if you've got enough faith in His goodness that you'll press through to find the flowing river of His blessing underneath. Sometimes He ain't just going to give it to you right out of the gate because He needs to see if you've got the faith to persist and to persevere and to come in that place with Him. I read a study. I need to hurry up, but it's all good. Y'all still good with me? Just take a big deep breath. Say, you know what? He'll get through it eventually. I read a study of the Berlin Academy of Music. They did a study and they said, you know what? There, were, there, there was world-class soloists on the violin. And there, then there was, there, was, there was excellent performers. And then there were people that were very good, but they would never likely play professionally. And what they found is that all of them up to the age of eight 
pretty much they played the same amount. But from the age of 8 until the age of 20, there was something that changed dramatically, and that was how much they played. They found that the people uh, that, that, that played about 4,000 hours, they, they, they were really good, but they never really played professionally. Then the ones who got to a place of being professional, they played about 8,000 hours to that point. But then the people who became world-class soloists, they played about 10,000 hours over that time. And this guy, he made this statement. His name was Anders Ericsson. He said, while there is no denying that innate ability dictates some of your upside potential. Some people are just born to play football. Some are just good at it, etc." But he says your potential is not about your innate ability. He said it is massively only tapped via persistent effort. Persistence is the magic bullet, not aptitude. In other words, he's saying everybody's gifted with something, but the people who really make the difference are those who persist and don't give up. People who press in and say, I, I've got to have more. And the spiritual principle remains the same. The breakthroughs we're going to see is not because we're real good Christians or because we know how to pray the right things. It's because we, fail, we, we choose to never give up and we're going to press into God until we see something changing. Number three, the blessings of God are not obtained by our own schemes or merits. See, God asked him his name. He wanted Jacob to admit it. And Jacob had spent his whole life trying to earn the blessing, fighting for the blessing, trying to make something happen. And he realizes that he's never going to be able to make it happen on his own strength. And what he finally realizes is that as he's wrestling with God, God knocks his hip out of socket. And he realizes it's not about what I can earn. It's about God simply giving it to me. And for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp in reminder of the fact that he's completely dependent upon God. It says that at the end of his life, he blessed his children leaning on his staff. In other words, he's saying for the, after that point, my, that encounter with God, I realized I couldn't get nothing on my own. It was all in the power of God. It was all because of what Jesus has done. It's not by how good I am or how smart I am or how much ability I have or even the strategy that I can cook up. It is simply by the grace of God that the blessing flows through to my life. And sometimes winning only comes through losing to God. Sometimes you got to be willing to submit and let go and say, God, I give up. I can't fight you no more. This is it. But see, he held on. And that, that's, that's, that's the irony is you've got to hold on to God while all at the same time surrendering to him. All at the same time, you've got to surrender to him. See, but God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't call him Israel. Why? Because God is the God of of even the place that you're in when you're in a mess and you don't know what in the world to do. I'm going to give you two quick more points and I'm done. Number four, God Himself is the primary blessing that we seek. See, Jacob wanted the blessing, man. He wanted the good stuff. He wanted the inheritance. He wanted the two-thirds of the money. He wanted the promises of God. But while he was wrestling with God, what he found is that ultimately he didn't want the things. He just wanted God. He just wanted God. And God never promised him that everything was going to work out. Let me tell you something. God will give you promises, but sometimes he's got... Not, I remember dealing with youth and all the time they just they, they weep and cry, buddy, because they wanted a new car, a puppy dog, and a boyfriend. And it's just like, but God promised me a new car, a puppy dog, and a boyfriend. I'm thinking, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, he did, maybe actually what he's promising you is himself. And sometimes when you strive wanting those things, what it actually leads you to is in, into an encounter where you realize all those things are nice, but ultimately God is way better. 
And what I need more than anything else in my life is I need a relationship with God. I need to know God and it is through that wrestling of desiring things and seeking God that you end up finding out that all those things that He's withholding from you, He's withholding from you because He's trying to give you a better gift than the thing that you're asking for. And that is the gift of Himself. And sometimes your greatest breakthrough in prayer is not a change of your situation, but a change of your identity. Jacob's situation did not change. What changed? His identity changed. You may pray today and your situation may not change, but I promise you, if you persist, God will bring you to a place where He will change your name. He'll change your identity. You may pray, God, I want this changed. And He'll say, you know what? I'm not going to change that, but I'm going to change you so that when you look at that, you feel a lot different about it. You feel a lot different about it. See, God's not just looking to change your circumstances or your situation. He's looking to change you so that you come to a deeper place of trust. And no longer are you Jacob who supplants or deceives or cheats, but you are Israel who trusts fully in God. And after that, Israel was named 1,800 times in the Bible. That name became the name through which all of the blessings were going to come. And here's my last point. I'm done. We know that God hears us because He became weak for us. How many of y'all you ever wrestled with your children? Right? What if you wrestled them full on? Would you not destroy them? I mean, what if you put your full weight on them? It would crush them. If you ever wrestled with the children, like you're, you're getting weak, you're just trying to, you're trying to feign weakness, you're just like, oh, he's beating me. You know? God, if he, what does omnipotence weigh? If God would have went full force on Jacob, he would have become a grease spot on the ground. But God comes down and actually feigns weakness in order to wrestle with Jacob. And he allows him to wrestle with him all night. And he gets to a place where he's actually going to let him win. And he says he's not going to let him go because God wants to see if you're going to be willing to wrestle with him. If you're going to be willing to continue when it hurts, when it doesn't make sense, are you still going to come to God and say, God, I'm going to wrestle with you about this. I'm going to ask you some questions. I need to bring you some things. I need to bring your promises back up to you. I need to struggle with you a little bit. And God wants to be right there to wrestle with you through it. But ultimately, He wants to pour His love in. He wants to bring the change. But do you realize that God did that for us? All of the weight that should have been dropped on Jacob, God waits a couple of thousand years, and He drops all of that weight on His Son, Jesus Christ. The full weight. And Jacob held on to God at the risk of his life so he could have the blessing. But but Jesus went to the cross and held on and gave his life so that you could receive the blessing. And God comes to a place of weakness just so, he, just so you'll know. When you pray, look at the cross. That's where it's all paid for. You can come, you can ask me, and your prayers are going to be answered. If you don't know the Lord, there's salvation available for you. If you need healing, there's healing available for you. If you need peace of mind, there's peace available for you because Jesus went to the cross for you. And to think that He would not meet all of your needs after He did all of that for you and come to you and meet you right where you're at, it's an insult essentially is what one man said. To look at the cross and think that God doesn't care about us is an insult. He cares about you more than you could ever imagine. So right now, just at your seat, I want you to bow your head just for a minute. I want us to pray. Because you all know where you're at. And God may be asking you right now, what is your name? Where are you at? What have you been struggling with? What have you been wrestling with? And right now where you're at, you can just bring that to Him. And just begin this process of, of wrestling with Him, of struggling with Him, of dealing with some things that you've been dealing with. And so Lord, for each person right now, we just come to You. 
And we thank You, Lord, for the salvation that You bring. Lord, we thank You for the peace that You bring through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we confess just like Jacob did. We confess, Lord, that we are sinners and that we are in need of a Savior. And Lord, in this moment, we are praying and asking, God, that You would forgive us for our sins. That You would give us a new identity, God. That You would call us by a new name. That You would give us strength that we've never had before. And God, right now, we bring our struggles. We bring our doubts to You. And we want to wrestle with You, God. But we, we, want, to, we want to say, Lord, that we're not going to let go until You bless us. And the truth is, God, that you already have blessed us in Christ. So we receive the fullness of that blessing this morning. And we pray, God, that you would begin to move in our hearts and in our lives in a way that we've never experienced before. I want you to stand to your feet right now. We're going to worship the Lord together.